episode 67, The Key to Healthcare Business Success. Today, I speak with Danielle Jones from BHM Healthcare Solutions. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Danielle Jones, SVP of Marketing over at BHM Healthcare Solutions, has seen the insides of a lot of healthcare organizations. She's seen what's worked and what hasn't gone so well. Today, we boiled the ocean down to one core success factor, operational efficiency. Providers who are going to be successful must figure out how to retool the kind of commonly unscalable, fragmented, non-process-driven organizations, and they have to retool them to the standards that other industries, to be perfectly frank, have been living under for years. This isn't something I haven't heard before. In fact, I recall listening to Dr. Eric Topol make much the same point last year when he was giving a keynote address advocating for lean production in healthcare. Kind of the same idea. It is a point that is talked about, but probably not enough. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Danielle. I'm very excited to talk a little bit about healthcare today with you. BHM Healthcare Solutions actually was just recognized in the Inc. 5000. Congrats. Well, thank you so much. We started out as a very small healthcare consulting firm 13 years ago. We've doubled in size year over year, and we were just recently recognized as one of the most rapidly growing private organizations in America. Who are your customers primarily? Like what types of organizations? Well, we've worked with a number of different types of organizations. I would say predominantly managed care organizations, hospital organizations, large provider groups. Uh, We've certainly worked with some government entities and we're trying to get even more engaged along that line. But uh, your basic large kind of healthcare providers. What's keeping your customers up at night right now? You know, like what are the things that they are really struggling with at this exact moment in time? Well, you know, I think everyone in healthcare right now is struggling because essentially the bar has been raised. Everyone needs to meet these quality standards of care, but people are finding themselves in a position where they have fewer and fewer resources. So Patients are demanding more. The system's demanding more. Payment is often now tied to the outcome or how effectively you provide care. So organizations really need to up the level of care that they're providing, but they need to do so in an environment where financial resources, human resources, every resource imaginable is getting smaller and smaller. So lack of physicians, lack of reimbursement or different reimbursement models. And that's a challenge. The challenge really is how are we going to do more with less, less of everything? Do you feel based on your, you know, you've got a really interesting place where you see the insides of a lot of different organizations. So here's what might be an unfair question. (laughs) Do you, (laughs) just warning, yeah. The dirty (laughs) underbelly of healthcare. Yeah. Do you feel like 
what is being asked of providers these days in particular is unfair? Or do you feel like, I mean, everyone in business, I mean, I I have a business and and I'm being asked to do more with less every single day. Also, you know, I've got customers who say, well, this is how much we're going to pay you. You figure out how you're going to deliver. So do you feel like this is kind of a natural evolution of the world in general that is touching healthcare for the first time and what they're being asked to do is reasonable and possible? Or do you think that this is unfair and impossible? That was absolutely a fantastic question. To address the first part, do I feel like this is unfair? Absolutely not. I think actually it's overdue. The healthcare industry has been operating in a way which is much different than so many other industries for a very long time. And they've kind of been protected and set to the side. And we all just think, you know, healthcare is healthcare. That's not the way it works. I'll give you an example. If you were to go into a store and let's say you wanted to purchase an apple, you would be able to look at three different apples. You'd know what the price of the apple was before you purchased it. And the store would really kind of display the apples in an appealing manner. They might tell you a little bit about the apples if you had a question, that kind of thing. Healthcare's never really been like that. There's never been that transparency. It was kind of, you know, you go and you get the apple that we give you. A lot of the pricing transparency was missing. But the thing that was missing the most was the focus on patients. So really catering to the patient. What does the patient need? What is in their best interest and involving them in healthcare? This is really an an opportunity as well as a challenge, but I think it's an opportunity that healthcare can step up to. Do I think it's impossible? I don't. I do think it's difficult, and I think that it requires a complete shift in the way that organizations and their executives think. So in order to execute this, it cannot be small changes. It can't be kind of business as usual with a, a couple tweaks here and there. We really need to reevaluate how healthcare is delivered in this country and, and kind of have a, a revolution about the way that we think about implementing changes or, or what's to be expected. So I, I think it is doable. I do think it's a challenge. It's a challenge people are struggling with, but I think that we're going to see some great successes come out of it. It's that whole idea of creative destruction, you know, that it's an economic principle that in order to make strides forward, things have to necessarily be destroyed, you, you know? Absolutely. So I know uh, that's, absolutely. that's kind of a harsh way to, to put it, but that's just kind of very cyclical that something has to crumble in order for something, you know, like a, a, a door has to, what's that cliche? A window has, a, <laughs> has to close for a door to open, so... That's very true. Well, hopefully, you know, because of the changes in law and mandates and things like that, so it's kind of forcing some of these doors to open in healthcare. And I think some organizations are trying to hold out, but that's definitely a mistake. You, At times, you just can't fight change. You need to find a way to embrace it. And you need to really carve out a, a path and, and a strategy for how you're going to succeed in this vastly new environment. So let's talk about the top trends which are affecting organizations right now. I mean, obviously, this is a train that's left the station. It's it's inevitable. What are the top? I know you had mentioned putting the patient at the center of everything. Would you consider that, you know, one of the major forces or is that a force or is it kind of a solution or is it kind of both? (laughs) You know, it is a force as well as a solution, I think, 
For a long time, American consumers, quite honestly, were not very satisfied with the healthcare system. So that created a force. On the other hand, what studies have indicated are that organizations that operate with a model of what we call patient centricity or the patient in the center of everything, they see that these patients who have better input into their care, who have a a number of different parallels kind of examined, and we can dig in there a little bit if you'd like, but that they actually get better outcomes. So they require less care and, and get better outcomes when you put the patient at the center of the care. One other thing to kind of throw in there is, you know, we used to always say patients are patients in healthcare. One trend that you'll kind of notice, and, and you'll see what, what where I'm talking about pops up all the time, is oftentimes now you'll hear the patient regarded as the consumer. Now, that is a reflection of this big change that's happening. Whenever you hear a patient termed a consumer, this is a, a shift in the thinking in healthcare where you know, these are no longer patients, they're consumers of our healthcare products. We need to cater to them as such. You had made the offer that we could dig into that a bit. Let's do so. Do you have a case study or an example of how being focused on a patient might have delivered better results? Absolutely. And, you know, there are so many great examples out there, but let me just pull up a few and, and a couple interesting facts. You know, one of the things that we see in healthcare is people aren't typically involved in the healthcare system until they're sick. So I always kind of think in my mind, you know, a lot of what healthcare organizations focus on isn't healthcare, it's sick care. It's taking care of someone once they're sick versus if you treat the patient as a consumer, if the patient is at the center of everything, you can have a much greater impact on the outcomes of the patient if you involve them in things such as wellness programs and things of that nature, where you actually have more impact on them before they get sick, rather than waiting until they get sick and trying to treat them. I think that's one important thing that's kind of come out of this. And studies have also shown so only 20% of the patient's outcome is impacted by direct health care once they're sick, but 30% of their outcome can be impacted by these wellness and prevention programs and prevention measures and, you know, getting patients wrapped into your practice in more effective ways before they really get sick. So you can have more of an impact before people ever get sick. This is kind of the new face of healthcare and where it needs to go. Do you have any concrete examples of what you're talking about, you know, of an organization that implemented, for example, a wellness program in the way that you suggest that had very good results? Sure, absolutely. So there's an organization that we work with that's located up in New York. And one of the things that they would see is they would see a high utilization of their services by people who, and this organization happens to be behavioral health focused. So they would see a high utilization of their services by people who have these, what we term comorbid uh, conditions. So it might be someone who has depression and also has diabetes, things of that nature, where you've got a physical ailment and a behavioral health ailment, and they kind of come together in a perfect storm and really create a chronic condition for this individual. What we've seen is that this organization examined their patient population. 
So they took a look at all of the patients that they treated and they kind of pulled together and pulled out these patients that had these comorbid conditions. So the patients that had a physical and behavioral element that was causing a chronic condition. What they did with these patients is they instituted this very patient-centric model where they provided them educational resources. They did this via trainings, via educational kind of speaking events and things like that in the neighborhood. They also had specific care managers get involved with these patients, people who would do a number of things in healthcare that we traditionally don't think of. So making sure someone has a ride to their doctor's appointment, making sure that they filled their prescription and picked it up. Again, this very small pool of people was utilizing an exceptionally high percentage. I want to say it was probably around 37% of the resources of this organization were being utilized by a pool of people that was equivalent to about 3% of their total patient population. So by instituting these new measures, these new educational programs, protocols, following up with the patients, becoming involved with the patient's family to make sure that they have the supports at home to make sure that, you know, they are taking their medication, they are eating appropriately, they are making it to their doctor's appointments. They were able to reduce that to less than 10% of the utilization. This made a huge financial impact on the organization. It also freed up resources to start other initiatives, such as an immunization initiative that they were able to then, you know, take their resources and, and better allocate them outwards to the entire patient population because they were more able to effectively care for the small percent. And I think that's a fairly common situation where you have a small number of patients that are uh, utilizing a great proportion of the resources. I mean, I th I've seen Medicaid stats, which indicate something very similar. I think it's like 5 and 50 or something like 5% of patients or 50%. I could be totally wrong on that. No, um, that, that actually, that sounds pretty accurate to me. It's a, it's a pretty industry-wide, pretty standard problem. And where you get these people using so many resources is, again, there's not this kind of patient-centered model that takes every aspect of care um, into account. Can this person make it to appointments? Are they getting their medication? Are they getting education? Is their family involved in their care? So what people can do is focus on the small population to improve their health and to keep their chronic conditions in check so that what you don't have is someone who goes a long period without care then presents at the emergency room just in a, in a terrible state. It almost sounds like it's as much of a care operation as it is a risk stratification operation. Is it very difficult for organizations to cull through their patient data in order to identify these high utilizing patients? Or is it relatively easy or somewhere in between? <laughs> You know, I would say that that varies highly within the organization. One of the things any organization that's looking to improve, to improve financially, to improve clinical care, to improve efficiency, I can't stress enough how important data is. Data is the backbone of the new standard of delivery of healthcare. So if you have appropriate data, if you have appropriate reporting, if you're gathering appropriate stats on your patients as they present and utilization and case management reports, things like that, it's very easy to slice and dice in a number of ways that makes it able for you to implement programs that can create an impact. 
Now, if organizations are just gathering general information, if they're not really able to kind of drill down deep into that information and, and parse it in a number of ways, it can be a shot in the dark, and that's not what you want. You want to create data that's actionable, so you've got to create the key metrics. And is this something that your standard EHR system and your PMS system together could be able to figure out? Or do you really need some other type of, I don't know, HIE or cloud-based analytic system in order to pull this off? I would say that while there is a great number of informational and, and data points that you can pull from those types of technologies... What we typically recommend is another type of data reporting system, be it cloud-based, be it, you know, secure and individual to that organization that kind of gathers the metrics that are most critical for that organization. I think when you talk about EHRs, EMRs, you can get into a whole other scope and bucket of things. The best programs will allow you to pull a lot of this data, but oftentimes we see it, it's there's not a one size fits all, or there might be different metrics of measure that you would want to look at that might be missing. So it's good to kind of pull everything into one place. Essentially, what that means is that provider organizations really need to have a way to aggregate their data in such a fashion that they can pull these core metrics that you're talking about. Absolutely. So then that's probably going to be a third party, like something else, like some other cloud-based data warehouse. Right, exactly. It could be, or I mean, you could funnel in data from your EMR and you can marry it with data and other statistics from, let's say, your call center or different things like that. We often see that, so EMRs primarily focus just on the patient, but there are so many other aspects that can impact patient care and so many other ways to create efficiencies within the system that you really want to look at everything together. So how long does it take for people to get an appointment? How many appointment cancellations do you have? What do your call center stats look like? What's the nature of the call? So there are a lot of different operational data points that you would want to tie in as well. Because those, you know, for example, if it takes someone a really long time to get an appointment, then those are the exact people that might wind up in the ER, either because they're tired of waiting or because something in the meantime happened. Absolutely. Got it. Is there another case study that you'd, you'd like to share? I think that there is probably another case study that we could dive into, and, and it's more of a model, which is the model of the patient-centered medical home. Are you familiar with this model? Why don't you give us a quick explanation? A patient-centered medical home is essentially a way of delivering care. It's traditionally based through the primary care provider, but what it sets up, the, the name is actually... Uh, it sounds a little different than what it actually is. It's not necessarily one home, lo one location, but what it is, is it's complete care for an individual that's coordinated by the primary care provider, but that covers every aspect of patient care because the provider working with other healthcare systems or in large healthcare systems, they deliver it all under one roof, creates this kind of network of care so that there's one common point of healthcare where all of the patient's information, much like an EHR or EMR, is compiled in one place, but also every aspect of their care is in one place. So, for example, a primary care provider would work very in-depth with the behavioral health provider so that it's not like 
what you've got going on at the psychiatrist's office stays over there and what you've got going on at the doctor's office stays over there. They're much more melded together to give you a complete look at a patient's care. This is the poster child for patient centricity that's popping up. And there have been some really great advancements um, that have come out of this model. With PCMHs, I heard a lot about them several years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have not heard as much lately. What's the trend with them now? Are they proving successful or what lessons have been learned over the past couple of years? Well, I think that what it comes down to is what you saw coming out of patient-centered medical homes were either examples of wild success or abysmal failure. And it seemed that there were few things in between. And here's the reason why. Here's the secret key um, to what differentiated success from failure. To operate a patient-centered medical home, of course, you need to make sure that you've got appropriate technology in place. You've got those EMRs, you've got those EHRs, um, that you've got appropriate connections, that you've built a network, that it's communicative. So when you think about all of the things that you need to put in place in order for this care model to work, you can kind of already see that the amount of resources that it takes to operate with this model can seem quite cumbersome compared to traditional care. So those organizations who just tried to implement things without doing the key, which is looking for efficiencies, those are the ones that did not succeed. The models that did incorporate this model of care but looked for operational efficiencies. And here's the key. Those are the ones that we can see were able to really succeed. So they were able to provide care via this model. But what it took was that destruction, that tearing down that you were talking about earlier, where all of a sudden they didn't just have to think about care. They started having to think about all of these operational components of their organization and, and really almost take a microscope to everything from front desk procedures to discharge planning to filling prescriptions, but basically take a detailed look at everything and say, how can we do this better? How can we do this in a more efficient manner? How can we maximize our resources in order to be able to deliver care like this in a way that financially works? That is a really interesting point. And I, I was actually thinking about this also when you were talking earlier about the example of finding the really high utilizing patients and investing a lot of provider time in meeting their needs. Exactly like you were just saying, I mean, making sure that somebody's got a ride to their appointment and doing all of those sort of peripheral things, which have an immense effect on outcomes. That it comes at a opportunity cost. If you are allocating provider resources so extensively in one area, that means obviously that those same resources are not available in other areas. Is success in that idea, you know, in that model as well, does that also have to do with operational efficiencies? I mean, are operational efficiencies kind of the root of a lot of the underpinning of success here? Absolutely. So we could almost say finding operational efficiencies, no matter how large, no matter how small in every aspect of your organization, is the key to being able to deliver better care for lower costs. You can't up your resources. Resources are often fixed. They're often finite. If you've got 20 physicians on staff, you know, 
odds are you're probably capped. You can't add many more. So the question is, how are you going to maximize the resources that you do have? And and the key really is looking for efficiency. You know, as a consultant, obviously, in, in this space, how do you start thinking about this? I mean, I could see if I were a provider, it, it might be completely overwhelming to, you know, to, to start. Where, <laughs> how do you kick this off? Well, you know, one of the things that we like to do, we like to put in place those data measures that we talked about. We like to take a look at all of their data. Oftentimes, we'll find, quite honestly, organizations are missing critical data sets. So we like to take a look at all of their data and we typically look at it across two parallels. The first parallel would be, okay, let's take a look at clinical data. Let's take a look at your utilization. Let's see what the picture of your practice is there. On the other side of the coin, we want to take a look at the other data that might involve operational components, such as, you know, we spoke a little bit about call center. How long does it take to get an appointment? Now, traditionally, will kind of dispatch two prongs of consultants. One will work on optimizing patient care, but the other drills down into efficiencies. Lean and, and Six Sigma and, and different kind of management aspects like that have really come up a lot recently. We have a couple experts on our staff that deal with that. I personally am not an expert in that, but I can tell you what we typically do is we take a look at the cycle of entry and exit and everywhere in between of what occurs with the patient. So for example, we might come in and say, okay, when someone wants an appointment, what are the steps that they take? When they present for their appointment, so when you check in at the doctor's office, how does your appointment scheduling go? How long are people waiting? How many forms are they filling out when they get there? When they finally get called for their appointment, do they go back and sit in a room for 45 minutes to an hour and the first person they see is the physician? Are they only waiting 15 minutes and the first person that they're seeing is a nurse? We really look at the entire cycle starting from the beginning when someone presents for an appointment and we look for efficiencies there. So a couple of examples of of frontline efficiencies are prior authorization, making sure that someone's care is covered before they come in for their appointment. So getting that insurance information over the phone so you're not sitting there with someone in your waiting room calling the insurance company, making sure that their insurance is valid while they wait. That's a really super quick and easy example. Another example, using technology when you're able to, to streamline the the patient entry process. So let's say you're going to come to your doctor's office for a visit. Let's send an email, have you fill out whatever you can fill out via email. You can either email it back to the provider or bring it with you. So you're not sitting there filling out 20 sheets of paper for 30 minutes. Of course, scheduling is really key in maximizing resources. One of the most critical things that we're seeing in healthcare right now is that there is a lack of physicians. This is a little bit worse even on the behavioral health side with a a dire lack of of psychiatrists, but physicians in general, we see that there's an elevated patient population. Uh, More people have insurance now, more people have access to healthcare resources, but we don't have enough physicians to serve this population. So maximizing patients' time with physicians while simultaneously creating efficiencies in the system so that physicians can spend their core time, let's say, visiting with a patient rather than taking notes. These are pretty critical. A couple of things that have come in handy are are some different kind of scheduling models, like a modified wave scheduling and different things like that, so that you can really, I 
don't want to say get the most out of your physicians by overloading them with patients. But what you want to do is you want to create different things so that, for instance, perhaps the nurse comes in, she preps the chart before before the physician gets in there. So he's not taking a look around trying to order or organize all these things, making sure that lab visits or, or needed labs and things like that are ordered or possibly if, if they're able to be provided on site, that the patient can go get these things taken care of before they see the physician. So basically kind of streamlining everything from the front all the way through the back with claims and processing is one of the ways that organizations can find success. Yeah, I've heard it called making sure that everyone is working to the highest level of their license. So in other words, if you have physicians doing administrative work, that could be easily done by someone else who didn't have a medical degree, (laughs) then that would be one way to make sure that resources are allocated in the most efficient manner. You know, it's these small changes that can make an impact. I can tell you, we had a client and each physician at this particular client, they saw seven patients per day. Patients were scheduled in one hour blocks. It didn't matter if someone just needed a medication adjustment or if someone, you know, was of more of an acute kind of nature or needed a a full physical. Each patient was scheduled for an hour. Physicians would see seven patients a day. Physicians were spending 45% of their time documenting visits. And so one of the things that we came in and did was say, okay, how can we make this so that the patient can have more interactive time with the physician? So even though the physician was slated to see seven patients a day, that's not where their time was going. 45% of it was going toward administrative duties. But also, how can we up the number of patients that each physician can see? Because at this particular organization, people would have to wait up to three weeks to get an appointment. So we put in some scheduling changes. Patients' time spent documenting due to a couple of things. We implemented a couple technologies. We put in place a couple of templates. We started having other individuals in the organization doing a little bit of prep before the patients came in. And we used a modified wave schedule. We were able to increase that so that each physician was able to see 20 patients per day and spent less than 15% of their time on documentation. All while increasing physician satisfaction in the workplace, which is fantastic when you want to retain your talents, not lose your talents. So although their caseload, in essence, had more than doubled, they felt like they were getting a better interaction with the patient because they were focused on providing care. They were focused on interacting with that patient, finding out what was wrong instead of, oh, you know, what code is needed here? Or or have I documented this to the utmost degree kind of off the cuff. So that's one example. I was talking to Dave Chase the other day, who's a a Forbes contributor, and he said, you know, everyone talks about the triple aim of healthcare, which is patient satisfaction, you know, cost efficiencies and quality of care. He thinks it should be the quadruple aim because provider satisfaction should be a, a part of that for exactly the reasons that you just specified. I thought that was interesting. Oh, that's incredibly smart that he would say that. I would say that's probably before the trend. I think that that's quite likely something that we'll see popping up in the future, especially as all these different all these different healthcare organizations are clamoring for the same pool of physicians. How are you going to retain high satisfaction levels with your providers so that they stay with you? 
where can people learn more about BHM Health Solutions? Should they be interested, Danielle? Sure. So we have a website. It is www.bhmpc.com. We are also exceptionally active on LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn dedicated group called the Healthcare Insider that is open to anyone who's interested in healthcare. And we have a pretty healthy Twitter feed, which is at BHM Healthcare. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure speaking with you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.